Drink and Read presents Dune by Frank Herbert, a foreword. Well, hello there! It's me, dear readers, Jonathan Kwiatkowski, and I bet you thought you saw the last of me, huh? Well, Drink and Read, everyone's favorite local boozy literary podcast, is back for season two. And if you haven't been clued in as to what we're reading by the biography, you know, the written notes for the show, or that lovely intro provided by moi, we are reading none other than Frank Herbert's sci-fi seminal classic, Dune. And I've already used the word seminal once, no twice. Well, you know the nature of this show. Just take a shot every time Jonathan jabbers on for a second about something you don't understand. Really? That should be the tagline for the show. But to explain what you're listening to, and welcome new and old alike, I appreciate any of the listens. You are tuning in on the Anchor app or some other podcasting platform to drink and read. What is drink and read, some may say? Well, the namesake explains it all. I read a book, and I get a little drizzy drunk while doing so, giving you some literary commentary. Now, am I the funniest? Am I the most cultured? Am I the most intelligent or prepared? No, to all of those. But if there's one thing that I got, it's Moxie! I got Moxie Sassafras! And of course, all of you out there in the dark, it would just make that journey all the more pleasant if you were to join me on it. And all are welcome, all are welcome on Drink and Read! So as always, I will apologize for any mistakes that I make along the way. Please send all fan and hate mail to me. You know, my address is 123 Fake Street. Yes, that is a Simpsons reference. We have to shove them in where we got to. If we don't use this culture, we lose it. Now to recap season one on the podcast very briefly, because I enjoy things brief. We of course visited Leo Tolstoy's classic War and Peace, and I have to say, it was a long one. I had to take a long break off because, well, if you've read Leo Tolstoy, you know he goes on, but it was totally worth it. I think it is a life-changing experience, someone, or a book that uh, you should read at least once in your lifetime. And of course, listen to Drink and Read while you do so for some insider info and some breakdowns for all of the major and minor characters that pervaded the novel. And season one of Drink and Read is available wherever fine podcasts are perused for the low, low price of free. That's where my standards are at nowadays, and I won't be raising them anytime soon. But I've got some good news, depending on how you look at it. Season two, we're reading Frank Herbert's Dune, and you're thinking to yourself, Jonathan, you're going from classic Russian literature to sci-fi? And yes, we're unpredictable on this podcast. Just when you think I'm gonna zig, I'm gonna zag, baby. But with this change in scenery comes an ease for you, the readers out there, because War and Peace took us nearly half a year to read. Dune is a light snack. It is a whiff of the spice melange, if you will, when compared to the Russian Semovier that was War and Peace. So if you survive that, more power to you. You are probably able to read almost any book physically in existence nowadays. And if you're a newcomer to Doom, welcome. As I said, pick it up. It may seem intimidating, but it definitely reads a lot easier than Tolstoy. And what's new on season two that might entice you? Well, for one, I don't think that I'm going to be singing intros a la Tolstoy. That was kind of a great comment. 
1812 reference that I was doing throughout each of the episodes. This is less of a sing-song book and more of a put-on-your-glasses-and-get-ready-to-page-turn book. And thanks to the loyal listener's vocal constructive criticism, which, you know, I'm a theater major, I'm used to it, I've actually prepared myself even more for season two Dune of Drink and Read by taking a copious amount of notes. No longer will you hear me bumble through a chapter with 10,000 characters being introduced. I have streamlined about a page or so for every section that we are reading, and uh, I think I'll be all the better for it. It will really increase the flow of this podcast. The chapters are much shorter here, and thus the episode lengths will follow suit. Of course, there is much to discuss of the planet Arrakis, Paul Atreides, and more. There's so much to discuss here. I wouldn't choose a book if I didn't have the opportunity to talk all of your ears off. And if you want to follow along at home, which is highly recommended if you're listening to the podcast, uh, I think Dune is pretty similar across the boards no matter what edition you get. I'm currently reading the special edition of Dune, which you'll be able to identify through the copper and teal tone cover. It has Paul Atreides in the foreground. In the background, there is a large teal Atreidean moon, and the page uh, color is the same color as that's on the cover. I mean, I don't know how to describe it. You'll know it when you see it. It's a big, thick boy on the shelf. Friend and fan of the podcast, Gabe Rivera has provided us a lovely reading schedule based on the Ace Trade paperback edition, which, judging by the cover, has Paul Atreides in white, you know, embossed in the letters of Dune, walking throughout the orange Dunish hills of planet Arrakis, and above is a night sky. And yet again, the reading schedule is based on the Ace Trade paperback edition, but I think it'll be pretty close. You'll understand where we end each time. Okay, I think that's all the basic introductions out of the way. I'll try to provide that at the beginning of each episode, just, you know, see what's going on out there in space and time among our dear listeners. Uh, But uh, let's get into the details of why Drink and Read was named Drink and Read. Based on the title, I love two things. I love to read and I love to drink. As such, we will be starting every episode with a new drink that I try to theme to things, but we saw how that worked out last time in War and Peace. Usually it was just me guzzling down whiskey by the end of things, but I think Tolstoy would have, you know, been a fan of that. Should have just replaced the whiskey with vodka. We're starting this season around the holidays, and I think I found a topical drink that fits the bill for a season two introduction of Dune. And this is Wintertraum Christkindl's Glühwein, or, you know, mold wine, which you heat up on the stove, you throw a cinnamon stick on it, and it tastes oh so good. I'm a fan of wine. I didn't think I'd be a fan of wine when it's hot, but this really does hit the spot and gets me in the festive Dune spirit. And drinking spirits why high-spirited spiritly is the only way to thoroughly enjoy drink and read. If I'm being frank, audience, I need a few drinks just to understand myself these days, and with enough alcohol, you can fly anywhere, and it doesn't have to be in space. With that drink making its way down my esophagus, why Dune, Jonathan Kwiatkowski? And that's a good question, Jonathan. Um, I'm not a noted sci-fi fan. I don't really enjoy Star Wars or Star Trek. Once in a while I'll dabble in like an old-fashioned Doctor Who episode, but it's never been a genre that called out my name. Until, that is, I visited 
the largest IMAX screen in the country in New York City and happened to witness blindly. I knew vaguely, you know, about Dune and some of the characters, but I did see Dine Villeneuve's version with Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya and such, Rebecca Ferguson, the list goes on. I thought it was a transcendent masterpiece. I thought that it was a, a dazzle of screen. I was wowed. The sound encompassed me. I went to a different planet then, and I said, you know, I gotta read this book, and now since part two has been announced, I definitely have to finish at least the first book in Frank Herbert's series. And having completed the book for the podcast, I can say I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a good decision on my part to start Dune and pick up something that I might not be accustomed to reading. I think that it's smart, I think that it's beautifully written, it flows, it doesn't drag, and it's interesting. It sets up great world building, there is an established religion, many religions, many races and creeds and planets going on, it's political intrigue, it's mystery, it's kind of sexy at times, and then there's like the mystique and beauty of the planet of Arrakis, a setting that at first I was a little trepidatious to move into, but there is immense beauty on this planet, and the way that Frank Herbert describes the local flora and fauna, the sandworms, the Maudibs and such, I really enjoyed it. It transported me, and it's a fun read. The characters are also cool because, I mean, I don't know, we'll get into a little bit of Frank Herbert's life in a few minutes. I think the thing that stuck me out is there's not a lot of damsels in distress in the movie. I expected things to turn one way, but the women are just as powerful, if not more so, than the male characters here, and that stuck out to me in sci-fi. It's not, we're going to rescue Princess Leia on the Death Star. No, it's going to be, my mom's going to become the head of a religious cult, and then, you know, use her mental mind powers to conquer. But that's just a basic gist for now. I'm sure I'll insert my personal opinions as we continue to read the novel. Just basically, if you're not into sci-fi, maybe pick up Dune. You'll enjoy it. Alright, this is a forward, and last time, season one, if you remember, I had a little bit on Leo Tolstoy's life, and today I want to present a little bit about the author, Frank Herbert, from the point of view, as I said, taken from the introduction provided by his son, Brian Herbert. This special edition of the novel opens with a dedication that focuses, in my opinion, on environmentalism and strong fantasy-based leanings, which, after reading in retrospect, is perfectly partnered with Frank Herbert's ideals when it comes to his writing and belief system. In the words of his son, Frank always had an admiration for those invested in those ideas, you know, sticking true to their personal beliefs and taking care of the planet around them. I do like the little vague thing where it's like, at the end of this, it poses the question where humanity, like, where has humanity been? And there's a hopeful attitude that we don't exactly know where we're going, but it is a positive trend nonetheless. We're learning more and more from our experiences and past generations and putting that knowledge to good use. Okay, let's get into Frank Herbert's biography then, shall we? So early life, Frank Patrick Herbert Jr. was born on October 8th, 1920 in Tacoma, Washington. He was always known as an avid reader with excellent memory. And this fits perfectly with his career in writing due to his knack of immeasurable detail or maintaining immeasurable detail and world building, two elements that people would champion later on in his literature. 
He took an interest in photography, which he does paint a beautiful picture with his words, but grew up in a poor home environment, largely due to the Great Depression. He ran away from home in 1938 to live with an aunt and uncle in Salem, Oregon, and he enrolled in a new school, scored a job at the Glendale Star, and after lying about his age, worked with papers including the Oregon Statesman in a variety of positions over the course of his life. And along with writing and snapping pictures for papers, he had many other odd jobs. My favorite of which, which I read about, was he was a clam diver, so he dived for clams. That's fun. Frank's first marriage to one Flora Lillian Parkinson resulted in his daughter Penelope and not much else. I hate to seem shady, that's the way it was written here. He divorced shortly after. We are not throwing shade at anyone on this podcast directly yet. You'll know it when you hear it. Frank served with the Navy in World War II, but was discharged after a head injury. Afterwards, he attended the University of Washington, where he met his second wife, Beverly Ann Stewart, in a writing class. They were the only two in the class that had published work already, and they were taking the class, so they said, we're kind of similar, so let's get to talking. They married and had two sons, Brian and Bruce, and Frank never completed university. He was more invested in learning, not really sticking with an, you know, a steadfast curriculum. From his biography, he gives me the impression of someone who traveled the world and had the world be his teacher, learning from experience and doing, rather than sitting in a classroom. During this time, he garnered an interest in sci-fi about 10 years or so prior to him writing his own. He decided to begin work on a novel entitled Dune. Now, to specify before, all taken from the introduction by Brian Herbert, his eldest son. Um, This is the Ace Books Special Edition variant. Just Google that, you'll be able to find it. Remember the teal and orange. Frank Herbert, as described by his eldest son in his personal life, was an intellectual. He was like a magnet drawing ideas and people to him. He faced much rejection over the course of his life, but in turn, he never stopped writing. In the household, he had apparently needed silence, focus, and separation whenever working on his novels, and his children struggled to understand this at the time. Beverly understood this, and allegedly, elements of her own persona can be seen in the great character of Lady Jessica Atreides throughout the novel, one of the badass bitches of the novel, in my humble opinion. Beverly returned to advertising to provide the money for the family, while Frank was inspired to write Dune when he was assigned to write an article on the Oregon Dunes, which was never published and actually contained Herbert's interest in psilocybin, fungi, and mushrooms. Starting in 1959, Dune took over six years to research, plan, and write. Published in 1965 by Chilton Book Company, known then for their auto repair manuals, other publishers rejected the novel for being too long and confusing in initial readings. Additionally, the first printing would cost upwards of $5 to print. This was an unheard price for any science fiction book during the time period, but it was published and after a slow start, found an avid fan base after winning both the Nebula Award for Best Novel in 1965 and the Hugo Award in 1960. Frank laid the seeds for sequels in this opening novel and set up Paul Atreides, our main character's trajectory, as a morally gray hero. Frank suggested people are too quick to follow a charismatic leader. In Frank's words, some heroes make mistakes. And this is very reminiscent to me as a theater major being Greek theater, uh, serving as a naming inspiration for many characters. For example, we have House Atreides and Atreides as a character from Aeschylus' Agamemnon. 
We also are constantly told that old, precious Greek theater gem of is it destiny or is it fate? Will my choices matter in the long run of things? Or is it the gods or a power that beast that controls us no matter what we do? Frank also was never afraid to embrace the political and environmental nature of his own writing, working towards a better message for all of humanity. Herbert was among the first science fiction authors to popularize ideas about ecology and systems thinking. He stressed the need for humans to think both systematically and in the long term, a uh, notion that still exists today as we live on this, you know, big floating rock in space. We got to take care of the planet, y'all. And I know we gotta take care of the planet, y'all, doesn't have the same weight as Frank Herbert's Dune, but I'm doing my part. I'm making this podcast, gosh darn it. And I can say with 100% confidence, you will never see a drink and read NFT. Frank's real-world life served as inspiration for his novel, from the time spent in Mexico coloring shades of the desert planet Arrakis. Frank was a timed-honored traditionalist who also wanted humanity to do what was best for the planet. Frank had a stick in his craw when it came to technology. This is shown pre-novel with the Butlerian Jihad, in which the robotic and cybernetic overlords are overthrown to give humanity a second chance. This could have stemmed from Mr. Herbert's own beliefs, insisting, for example, that he would write out all of his novels on a manual typewriter. I mean, Mr. Herbert, that's all well and good, but you'd just be considered a hipster by today's standards. And he took these beliefs and altered them, so he was not a fan of computers, but he proposed the idea, what if there is a human supercomputer, aka the Mentats, and this was a similar trope that predated the Vulcans in the Star Trek universe, which have similar qualities. Herbert was a strong critic of the Soviet Union. He was a distant relative to the Republican Senator Joseph McCarthy, whom he referred to as Cousin Joe. However, he was appalled to learn of McCarthy's blacklisting of suspected communists from working in certain careers and believed that he was endangering essential freedoms of citizens of the United States. Herbert also opposed American involvement in the war in Vietnam. And Dune is a bloody battling book at times, but we can definitely see how Paul Atreides battles with, you know, should I go forward in this bloodshed? Is it necessary? And we do get his leanings on such that maybe, oof, this isn't the best course of action to take. As mentioned previously, spirituality and religion, you know, echoes throughout the book, touching on an assortment of real-world religions as source material. Um, Herbert's own Irish Catholic upbringing, which Frank strayed away from as he grew older, served as the background for one Bene Gesserit faith. And the Bene Gesserits, oh honey, the sisters are coming. As a fellow suffering Italian Catholic who has faded from grace with uh, years of Catholic school as experience, I can definitely see where Frank was going with these people. Many real-world languages served as inspiration for the characters speaking in the book, um, with Arabic being the main focus. Thanks to the success of Dune, this allowed Frank to take up writing full-time, creating more books in the Duneverse and other sci-fi books as well. Unfortunately, following the success, Beverly was diagnosed with cancer, and although she would live 10 more years, this terminal disease took a toll on the whole family. Frank and Brian bonded as older individuals while caring for Beverly, and both supported each other in their writing careers. By the bibliography included before this section, it is evident that Brian has carried his father's mantle, especially when it pertains to the Duneverse. You know, it's truly sorrowful to lose a loved one, but the least that we can say is this did bring father and son closer together, and they did appreciate each other a little bit more while helping each other in their own careers, so there was some light in the darkness. 
1984 served to be a tumultuous year in Herbert's life. During the same year of his wife's death, his career took off with the release of David Lynch's adaptation of Dune. Despite high expectations, a big-budget production design, and A-list casts, the movie drew mostly poor reviews in the United States. However, despite a disappointing response in the U.S., the film was a critical and commercial success in Europe and Japan. Now, I've only seen half of the David Lynch's Dune. I didn't want to spoil the novel before I finished it. After I'm caught up with this podcast, I will go back and conclude. Um, I could see how it didn't take off in the U.S., at least for me. Uh, I think that Dini Villeneuve's adaptation was definitely a little bit more art house, and that's what drew me in the first place. But I think both have their powers. And if this isn't a testament for the U.S. not getting something, it going over our heads and then being picked up in, you know, other nations. I mean, that's the American way, isn't it? One year later, in 1985, Frank married again to Teresa Shackelford, the same year he published Chapter House Dune, which tied up many of the saga's story threads. He planned to write a final seventh novel in the Dune series, but he died of a massive pulmonary embolism while recovering from surgery for pancreatic cancer on February 11th, 1986, in Madison, Wisconsin, at the age of 65. Since, though, Frank Herbert's legacy has prevailed, Dune and the Dune Saga constitute one of the world's best-selling science fiction series and novels, considered by many to be one if not the best example of science fiction in general. In total, there are 19 Dune novels plus one non-canon book, David Lynch's 1989 film, two television miniseries, most recently Denis Villeneuve's 2021 film, ensuring that Frank Herbert's dream of Dune becoming a pillar of sci-fi for future generations is here to stay. Although none of Herbert's other works garnished the prestige of Dune, they still sold well and ranked among best-selling lists all over the world. The Science Fiction Hall of Fame inducted Herbert in 2006. So now that we finished a little introduction to Frank Herbert's life and times, um, before I go, I just want to leave you with some things to expect this season of Drink and Read. As I explained before, if you're not a fan of sci-fi, maybe give this book a chance. It is definitely not as wordy and hard to get into as War and Peace was if you weren't a fan of great Russian literature, which is fine either way. You know, different books and different strokes for different folks. The best thing that I enjoyed about Dune was the world building. It is such a large scope of characters and planets and religions going on at this time, but Frank Herbert does a great job of streamlining the process, and as you read, you get more and more invested into each of these new things. When you open the book, you're like, oh my goodness, that glossary in the back really makes sense now, but after a few chapters, you really, you do kind of, you know, submerge yourself in the sandy dunes of it all. And this novel really paints the first strokes of what I think could be a really interesting series down the line. I don't know if Drink and Read will continue to do the entire Dune series. Maybe just stick for this one right now, but I'm actually interested in, you know, picking up a sequel novel after this. And I'm thoroughly appreciative for all you listeners out there if you made it through this, if this is your first season, second season, or you're just tuning in at random. Thank you for tuning in, and hopefully you enjoyed some of my commentary, you know a little bit more about Dune, and you will continue this voyage with me. Before I go, I think someone set up a thumper in the near distance, so I have to flee before the sandworms come. Um, I just want to remind everyone that if you like me, if you really like me, then you can check out my other podcasts. The first being Nightcaps at the Theater, where me and a few friends get a little drizzy drunk. I know, drizzy drunk again and watch a few classic and not-so-classic movies. Very interesting. And then my other podcast, which um, is entitled Anime Was Not a Mistake, co-hosted by my friend Dan Ryan and I, uh, where we take a look at anime and anime 
adjacent properties. Most recently, as of the time this is going up, hopefully we have a Rankin-Bass Christmas special for you, and we're checking out one of my favorite holiday films, It's a Wonderful Life. With that, loyal listeners, I have to hop aboard the NJ Transit local to Arrakis. Next stop... Arrakis. And thank you all for your participation in this episode, your listening, and of course your commitment to this 12-week or so journey through Frank Herbert's Dune. As mentioned previously, your homework for January the 10th is to read pages 1 through 52 in the Ace Trade paperback edition. Two final statements before I make my leave. One, do not fear. It is the mind killer. And two, Always remember to drink and read responsibly. Ah, Thank you for listening to Drink and Read. Hosting for this podcast brought to you by Anchor. This podcast can also be found on Spotify, Pocket Cast, and more. If you have any thoughts or questions, or any beverage recommendations, please feel free to reach out to us on drinkandreadpod at Instagram. Support of this podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. Thank you.